You're listening to Stranger Still, a podcast about Netflix's Stranger Things, metaphysics, and the wonderful weirdness of being alive. As we explore the sleepy streets of Hawkins and ponder the nature of the Upside Down, we hope to spark appreciation for stories and marvel at the wonder of, well, being. I know that's a little weird, but stick around, because things are likely to get stranger still. All right, so welcome to the inaugural episode of Stranger Still. We're calling this episode zero, where we introduce ourselves and what we'll be doing for season one. In this episode, we'll share some broad thoughts about the series and what we found particularly attractive about Stranger Things. And, uh, and of course, we're going to broach the subject of nostalgia. Uh, so, as you know, I'm uh, Matt Civico, and uh, I'm here with my co-host, Zach Prater. Hello. And uh, we're going to just go, we're going to get straight into it. So to start, I thought we could talk a little bit about our relationship to 80s nostalgia. And really, I missed the 80s because I was born in 89, and most of my childhood pop culture touchstones are from the late 90s. Uh, You know, The Lion King was the first movie that I saw in theaters. But uh, an interesting thing about growing up before the internet is how it wasn't super easy to live on the cutting edge. It was cheaper to rent old movies at the video store, and uh, that's what we did. And that's how I got exposed to things like E.T., Indiana Jones, Back to the Future, even uh, even Star Wars. Uh, I do have some strong memories, though, of riding bikes around the neighborhood with my friends, uh, as most, most people do, at least people our age. Uh, I don't remember the details now, but I have one very cinematic memory of cutting through someone's backyard and an old man coming out and yelling at me and my friend as we jumped his, as we jumped his fence. And uh, and so I really I get how these things become legends in kids' imaginations mm. because in retellings of this story, my friend swore the guy had a gun, uh, which I'm pretty sure he didn't. And and I've never told my parents about this. So, uh, <laughs> mom and dad, I made some poor choices when I was nine years old, I think. But uh, he didn't have a gun. It's fine. Did he? Did he? Did he have a gun? Did he not? Are you sure? I mean, he was upset. I know he was upset. Because I mean, I, yeah, in my mind's eye. I mean, I I had a I had a similar experience to you where I I me and a couple of friends. It was one of those friends say let's do this thing you do it and then you're the one person who gets caught you know i was the one kid at the end who the guy was driving his truck by and it was a construction site he's like hey i've been telling you kids and i was like it's the first time i'd ever done this i'm like you haven't told me anything and uh yeah i mean he didn't have a gun but like he might as well have it felt just as threatening at, at that age you know <laughs> we had like a, a doberman somewhere yeah oh yeah, yeah had to be a junkyard dog at some point but i mean it, it those kind of memories stick out to me the yeah the the similar experience i grew up in in very small town like country there were three houses around us um but again yeah very outdoorsy person as a child we had a lot of opportunities to do that just because there was so much space and uh i i feel like the same kind of nostalgic touchstones that you see in in stranger things are are definitely stuff that i i lived out even though not having lived there in that time period physically. Um, but specifically my relationship with the eighties, which will broach simply because stranger things, mm-hmm. um, it, it came much later on when I, I fell in love with horror movies 
uh, this, those movies have a strong pull on me in an odd way. It's, it's, it's a similar feeling to how I feel about most 1980s things where it's like, you you experience this childlike feeling when you watch them and for me that feeling came as a result of me having seen some of those films at least small bits of them when i was when i was a child uh at a young age you know getting traumatized by a movie you know it's it it sticks out in your memory i remember the exact scene that i watched from uh now this isn't a 1980s movie it's 1976 i'll clarify that for you horror fans out there but halloween uh, John Carpenter's classic, the exact scene I saw of, uh, I, you know, and 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 it, it it sticks out in my memory so firmly that when I watched it later on, I relived the nostalgic feeling of that terror, and and then having conquered that feeling of fear, you know, it, it was even more enjoyable. Hmm. And so there is this this same kind of nostalgic pull, you know, and and having been such a fan of horror films the 1980s is so strongly linked to what those movies are about and, and of course you have the, the the slasher genre that was massively popular throughout the 80s uh, all sorts of iterations of slasher films uh and classics like uh kubrick's the shining or or basically anything by john carpenter at all um and you know they, they, they made a strong mark on me that lasts to this day i gotta tell you that I would not touch that stuff. With, I mean, I didn't touch it in the eighties. I didn't touch it when I was a kid. <laughs> and you are definitely the 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 stronger on the on the horror genre than I am. <laughs> and funny story, actually, I when I first saw this trailer for Stranger Things, I remember I think there were there were two or three, but one of them definitely leaned more heavily into like the Stephen King horror vibes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh and I thought, oh, you know what? Nope. This uh this isn't for me. I'm amazed at that. Oh yeah, I was I rejected it outright. I said my if my wife showed me the trailer and I was like, "Oh, we're not watching that. I'm I'm not I'm not going anywhere near that." And then she showed me the other trailer and I'm like, "All right, this looks uh this this children who may or may not die i i felt a little <laughs> better about it but uh you're talking to a guy who you know had nightmares about darth vader the first time i saw star wars oh gosh um i'm pretty sure i had nightmares about Gollum in 2001 when i watched <laughs> the fellowship of the ring so I'm, I'm i'm not ashamed to say that i'm i'm afraid of stuff <laughs> and uh so yeah, I'm glad that you can bring a stronger horror pedigree because there's a, a lot of those references and uh, and call outs in Stranger Things. And uh, and I do not I'm not familiar with most of them because I'm still staying pretty far away from uh, most horror. But I'm, I'm open. Yeah, we'll work to change that. I'm open to, to take some chances. Uh, so I think that brings us to the real question here, uh, and that is whether Stranger Things is any good or if it's just well-targeted nostalgia bait mm. for guys like us who miss Blockbuster and uh, kind of wish we had more time to play video games and tabletop RPGs mm. than we do at the moment. Uh, you know, is, is it any good? Uh, I think we ought to start by defining nostalgia. The dictionary says nostalgia is a sentimental longing or wistful affection for a period in the past. And that seems pretty straightforward. But nostalgia also used to mean homesickness, though a longing for a place, not just a time. 
if nostalgia is both those things, then it can't be only one of them. So maybe it's something else. When I was reading up on nostalgia uh, to prepare for uh, talking about it today, I came across a blog post uh, that I'll link to in the show notes, but uh, it was trying to answer the same question, what is nostalgia? And it used uh, used a poem by William Wordsworth to illustrate, and, uh, and I'll quote the passage from the blog now and then the, uh, the poem. So here's, the, here's from the blog post. Nostalgia, then, is just another word for desire, or perhaps better, it is one of the shapes desire takes. Mm. That's what gives it its ache-in-the-soul quality. But what is it longing for, if not for a time or a place? And then that's followed by a line from Wordsworth's poem, Tintern Abbey. Changed, no doubt, from what I was when first I came among these hills. And I think that's, I mean, that's a very evocative line. The, the whole poem is basically a meditation on uh, nostalgia without ever mentioning the word nostalgia. Right. And I think this is getting at a definition that is less about a particular time or place and more about our our personal sense of, of wholeness or like in relation to the time or a place. Because as we've said, right, we don't actually have any experience with the 80s itself as a time or a place. We have experience with products of that time and place, but, uh, you know, we can't actually, we can't actually feel nostalgia for the 1980s, mm. really. So there's something else going on here in our relationship to these things that represent that. Uh, but, you know, we're not purely, we're not, we're not relating to it directly. Right. So there's something, uh, it's being mediated for us, but there's still this tremendous power in some of the 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 images and the feelings that they evoke right mm. yeah there's this there's this everlasting quality to what nostalgia is and the hold it takes over us uh and and as the wordsworth poem references you know changed i i was changed no there was no doubt that i was changed i i was in a certain place and now i'm in a different place and uh, that change is really the thing that we tend to gloss over, which is kind of interesting. Uh, we recognize the change, but we don't really pay much attention to it. We look back on it with rose-colored glasses, and and that's about it. So uh, my relationship with nostalgia is, is in many ways how I see it through movies, um, but also how I see it through history. And, you know, you look back into what how people perceive of how they grew up or a certain period of time that they grew up in as just the best time mm -hmm. um in america you think of the the golden age of america you usually think of directly post-world war ii when uh when when corporations were starting up and and businesses were booming and people were in all working and everybody was in the upper middle class and and you know everybody was beaver cleaver or wanted to be beaver cleaver and 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 it, it was this idyllic period in our minds and yet, perfect yeah yeah it had this this idea of perfection behind it and yet when you look back on that with with more of a, a real look you see a lot of holes in that narration where uh there was problems with women's rights or problems with the entire family structure of the mm -hmm. 1950s where 
there was this expectation of perfection. And, and if you didn't live that perfection out in a real way, then at least put a veneer over the top so that people can think you live that way. Uh, and, and a lot of that came out of that, you know, that, that push for nostalgia, uh, mm-hmm. then later on, when we look back, it's like, are we really looking at this honestly? Um, same kind of tie in with, with the, with the, with the show. Yeah. This t- t- like, tremendous pressure on people during that time. Mm. Right. And I mean, some of those, we feel like we've lost all of those good things, right? The, the things that made that time a golden age to, to many people. But at the same time, I feel like we haven't, we haven't even moved past some of the bad things that existed back then veneer of perfection what what else is most instagram feeds other than a veneer of perfection Mm. right and the pressure to feel like you you know that you must present that image um and at least you know at least we have the option to say well i'm just not logging out instagram anymore yeah but other people couldn't you can just stop living your life so yeah there's certainly a dark side to to nostalgia yeah, well, I mean, we we've had this discussion before, where we, we look at uh, at Star Wars or mm-hmm. at, at comic books or any kind of uh, of variety of pop culture that we have now and are experiencing now. There's two sides to that story. There's the side of the story where I'm very happy to see kids have heroes they can look up to and and movies that they can go to with their parents and their parents can have that feeling of nostalgia again and share that with their kids and 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 even even people who just grew up in that area having something to be able to look on again and just remember it fondly and then there's the other end of it where it's these kind of almost extremist cult like you know worship of a certain period of time and a certain uh, format of entertainment that's just way out there way way too much you know it's spending uh all sorts of money to to try and just get that feeling again yeah and uh i think that's where it can almost approach a dangerous level Mm -hmm. Um, and we can certainly be ensnared by the by the mentality of nostalgia via via advertising as well which i think is a a very strong element of nostalgia nowadays and how it's being used it's a powerful desire right and if if you're going to advertise something you you go straight for the emotional jugulars yeah so that's uh it makes perfect sense and i think of like those those dangerous parts of nostalgia i think of i think of you know myself as a kid who was absolutely in love with spider-man had a costume i I rode my bike in my spider-man costume on more than one occasion i think and uh and i still remember that my like my mom was a bit ashamed of me. She didn't want to let me go out and I insisted that I be allowed to ride my bike in public in my Spider-Man costume. And and I love that kid who who wanted to do that, who, you know, uh loved this comic book hero so much that that obviously I wanted to be him, right? If I could have if I could have flipped a switch and been Spider-Man, I would have done it any day. I would have I mean I probably wouldn't have thought about the consequences and the responsibilities that would have come with that, but I probably with would great have done power it. Come. <laughs> Uncle Ben was right. Uncle Ben would have been right and I would have just not thought about that. But like I said, I I love that kid, but I can't I'm not that kid anymore. But I think a healthy way to approach nostalgia is to appreciate that kid and 
remember what was what was great about you know seven year old Matt uh, who dressed up as as Spider Man. What uh, what can I learn from that kid? knowing that I can never go back to being him. Yeah. But uh, there's certainly something I can learn about just, you know, embracing, embracing the the possibility of, of being a hero. Mm. You know, I mean, I was never going to climb walls, but could I, could I stand up for a friend in class? And I think it's these kinds of stories that we become nostalgic about are usually those kinds of stories that, that pull us outside of ourselves and give us give us a narrative uh that often becomes very nostalgic we want to return to those things but gives us a narrative of what life can can be like and uh you know i'm not sure if the world would have been better with a matthew civico spider-man but uh oh, yeah it would have yeah thanks <laughs> <laughs> i hope so i mean it would have at least been an internet phenomenon you know now now at least i'm gonna i'm gonna dream about that and and feel sort of a sad nostalgia for my missed opportunity to <laughs> to become a radioactive spider. When you were young, riding your bike, and and you know that was your big chance. Yeah, the, I didn't stop any crimes on that bike ride. I <laughs> wish I had been more aware. Instead of just trying to look good, I looked so good in that costume. <laughs> hey, sorry to interrupt this curiosity journey, but I'm just popping in with the mid roll. If you want to support this show or my other work on faith and pop culture, you can visit patreon.com slash and become a patron. Uh, there are some fun rewards like extended podcast episodes and downloads of our original music, which you're hearing right now. And it is the skilled handiwork of the talented Zach Prater. So if that sounds interesting to you and you'd like to become a patron, please check us out on patreon.com slash And we'll get right back to the show. What is the nostalgia in Stranger Things doing? And what is it doing well? What is it not doing so well? And uh and where does that where does that take us? Because I think it's got a it's got a it's been a huge factor, I think, in my enjoyment of the series. And I'm trying to be as critical as possible of the the negative effects of nostalgia, but trying to learn as much as I can from what is it exactly that's going on with these characters with this story that makes me want to return to it makes me wish that that life was more like that sometimes and in what ways is that possible in what ways is that just a complete fiction um those are kind of the, the things that i'm excited to look at right i mean stranger things is such a great setup for this conversation because it takes all of these elements that we just discussed of nostalgia and how it's lived out and and reliving your childhood, living a childhood that uh, we can see on screen is imaginary and fantastical, and yet it has such a strong pull. And how is that used in the show? How do we see it develop and, and uh, how do we see the lives of the characters develop and then how our perspectives of those characters change throughout? that gives us a window into our own lives and our own experience and how we develop our childhood selves into and, and meld our childhood selves into our adult selves. And, and that makes us us. And I think it's a beautiful thing that we can be able to have that retroactive look and be able to kind of gain a sense of pride and, and ownership over who we are based on the experiences we had that were warm and happy and 
and also the experiences that we might have shined over a little bit. Yeah. And I think it's a reminder that like who who we are, right? Like your yourself doesn't just exist right now in this moment, right? We're the product of all the experience we've, we've had through time, which is just like a wild thing to think about that like, you know, it's uh, time is not the, the, the playhead on like a track on uh, on iTunes or something. It it all it all matters. And we even we exist in the future too. the way that we hope for things and dream about things and work towards future goals. We don't just exist in this moment. And, uh, and I think nostalgia certainly fits into how that how we feel about that right mm. um that our self is kind of spread out over time yeah you know am i still am i somewhere back in time riding that bike in my spider-man suit i don't know we won't uh, won't get into the technical bits about that but uh that kid on the bike certainly has an effect on the present right now mm. and uh, so i think that'll be an interesting way to to look at nostalgia and it sets us up nicely for season one um so maybe what we can do before we get into the uh our episodes on the episodes of season one so we'll uh, we'll start with the vanishing of will byers next time mm. but uh, before we dig into that i thought maybe we could try our best to think just about the first episode and decide when we watched it who was your favorite character at the end of that first episode this is so tricky because like the the first episode is just such a shotgun blast of character development you know you have so many people right at the front who are all being explored at once all these tropes that are coming out that uh you know are, are classic to character introduction but uh I'll, I'll do my best i'll do my best all right i i i've thought about this and i i'm pretty sure that i can say very confidently that at least for the first episode um my favorite character at the moment is Mike. Um, I can't really define it's, it's hard to put a finger on like that, that warm and comforting feeling you get from the perfect leader protagonist, that character who just takes the lead and, and yet he's a loving leader and he wants the best for his friends, but he has this strong sense of justice. That's just so relatable to us all. We, we want to see the right thing, come to pass we want to make sure that it happens for the sake of our friends and it's like he carries that honor white knight role you know right to the very end but i we're not at the end yet but not to give too much away from from the season or from episode one mike definitely i even just that opening sequence of him leading the the dungeons and dragons campaign and and you know he's he's the he's the leader behind the leadership he's the guy behind Mm -hmm. the game uh, making sure that his friends are having a good time and and uh, ordering them around, but doing it in a way that they that it, that is attractive. So yeah. That's, yeah, those are those are all elements that I, that I relate to strongly and, and appreciate. It's like he's he's in charge. He definitely seems like the leader of the group. Although, as we'll see, he gets challenged for that all the time. But mm. he he does seem like he he's in charge, right? He's the he's the dungeon master, but he's in charge for everyone else's sake right he's i mean if you've played any dungeons and dragons the dungeon master is there to facilitate everyone else having fun right and uh, and i think that really that sums up mike pretty well that he's he's there and he cares about his friends 
I think I have a really, I have a hard time limiting myself to maybe what I thought in just episode one. Mm. I think it's Hopper for me, mm. but I have a hard time knowing whether that's colored by the rest of the season. Because <laughs> Hopper is just such a dirty character in the first episode. He, he does not seem like a great guy at at first. Mm. You know, he's he's taking pills, brushing his teeth with beer. <laughs> uh, you know, he he's definitely does not have the superhero physique. There's he, an odd charm to that. Yeah, I mean, he's he's got. He just looks like he's. Does it look like he's trying his best in episode one? I'm not sure. I feel like he's tired of trying his best. Yeah, it's an it's an egotistical trying his best. But this is still something about him that I I just really liked, and you know it's the tropey stereotypical small town cop. But he, I think I think for me in the first episode, just he had the greatest lines. I felt. Oh yeah, he had the coffee and contemplation line. And I'll I won't I won't go into all the details because we'll save that for our thoughts on episode one. But uh, Hopper for me, right. and uh, we'll see how that how that develops through the rewatch of season one. Oh yes. So I think that'll do it for uh, episode zero here, getting us ready with our overview of season one. Um, we will be back uh, soon with our deep dive on episode one of Stranger Things: The Vanishing of Will Byers. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Stranger Still. If you like what you heard, you can check out the show notes at mattcivico.com slash podcast, and you can subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. We're a new show, and we'd love to know what you think. iTunes reviews help a lot, but more than anything, we want to start conversations. You can find me on Twitter at mattcivico, or you can share this podcast with a friend, grab a drink, and have a great conversation. And remember, friends don't lie.